You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Today marks the 10th episode of the Win Win podcast and also a very special conversation with Gina Bianchini, the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks, whom I will share about more in a little bit. Here at Win, we are continuously working on building an inclusive, diverse community with a volunteer-run leadership team working across three global markets. When we're asked what keeps us going, the answer is simple. It's the people. And while every organization relies on its people, for us, the community is and has continuously been the why. It is the community that will close the gender gap in innovation industries, and it is the community that will build an equitable future for all. Gina's company, Mighty Networks, creates platforms for communities to actually enable them to connect, grow, learn, and interact, something that is incredibly important and difficult to do well. This week, we will be sharing more about our own migration to the win-win platform hosted on Mighty Networks to officially kick off our membership for the organization, also known as the Win Members Club. So if you're a new listener or an existing Win fan, I'm excited to share that you can become an actual Win member by signing up on our site on Mighty Networks. Keep your eyes peeled on our existing social media and site, which you can find at www.womeninnovation.co. We are also on LinkedIn and Instagram with a handle at Women in Innovation, and we will be sending out additional information for you to learn more. I personally look forward to connecting with you all on the platform, and as always, you can reach me at Zoya, Z-O-I-A, at womeninnovation.co to further chat all things win-win. Without further ado, I would like to share more about Gina Bianchini, CEO and founder of Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks serves small and medium businesses that offer digital memberships, online courses, community, and subscriptions, all offered in one place under their brand, instantly available on every platform. Before Mighty Networks, Gina and Netscape co-founder Mark Anderson launched Ning, a pioneering global platform for creating niche social networks. Under Gina's leadership, Ning grew to over 100 million people in 300,000 active social networks across subcultures, professional networks, entertainment, politics, and education. It was sold for $150 million in 2010. Today, Gina shares more about her unique point of view on community, the perils of social media, and how community is so different from social media, and of course, the role of gender in it all. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We are seeing more and more women in leadership positions in male-dominated industries. And even in the last few weeks, Jane Frazier is now CEO of City, which is groundbreaking. But you've been an industry leader and pioneer for years, whether that's as an investor, a board member, a Stanford MBA graduate, and of course, now as founder of Mighty Networks. So where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices and the outcomes you've made in your life and your career so far? 
this is my third startup. I've been doing startups for a long time. When I think about where, you know, where I've been and where I've gone, you know, where I'm hopefully going and where I feel like we're going, you know, fundamentally for me, there's been a common thread throughout everything, which is I have always been fascinated by the question, how do you create change? Like, how does a people system go from thinking that smoking is awesome to smoking is gross? How does a people system go from an industrial revolution to like all the changes and transitions that need to happen when technology now enables us to live our lives in very different ways? So it's, you know, technology drives not just economic, but but cultural dynamics. So I've always been fascinated by that. I grew up in Cupertino, California. So I grew up there during the 70s and 80s. So there was like a lot of, of hangover from like the counterculture and hippies. And everybody where I lived had a relative who, who was a tinkerer in their garage. And it does not surprise me at all that what came out of this culture was, you know, the homebrew PC club, which was really the, the, the place where the personal computer um, enthusiasts, including Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, created something new. And so where I grew up became place of orchards to like all office buildings of new tech businesses. But I wasn't an engineer and I never kind of had any thoughts that I would be an engineer. I, that wasn't what was interesting to me. What was interesting to me was, was change and how do social movements work? And, and so, you know, fast forward a zillion years at the very beginning of, of social technologies they just made sense to me because it was like I had enough familiarity and I had enough confidence in my ability to work with engineers because that was something that I always, you know, had comfort doing. And this was an area where I was like, oh, for the first time at scale, we can change culture much faster. It starts with software. So that's how I ended up building my second startup, (laughs) my second startup all around communities and community building, which is what we do at at Mighty Networks and our, you know, our vision. I want to live in a world and I want to work towards enabling a world of millions of unique, vibrant communities led by creators that are mastering something interesting or important together. And I believe that model is the right model for who and, and where we find joy and value and fuel as individuals it is by far the, the best model for resilience. This is the world that I believe each and every one of us will be able to much more effectively and with a lot fewer roadblocks achieve our ultimate potential in ways that are the most human and, and the most powerful. And I do think that even though you've been doing this for quite a while, there is some sense of urgency for this today. So why do you feel that we need communities now more than ever? And so if you look back in time, it was probably not that much fun to be an explorer by yourself. You took a crew of people with you or you did so in a in a in a small group, a tribe, whatever you whatever you want to call it. And the reason is that when you don't have 
a playbook, when you don't know what the rules are, where you're exploring something that is rapidly changing, when you don't, when you don't know like what's exactly going on, you want to actually navigate a world that is uncharted territory with other people. And what do we have today? Well, we have the ability to come together in communities to navigate this new world that we're living in. And what's weird to say that this is a new world that we're living in is because the old world is so close behind us. We live in a fundamentally different world. There are things that we did seven months ago that even when we get a chance to do them again, we're going to look back on them and say, why would I ever do that? And so when you start to think about the fact that, you know, another way of saying that is that trends or things that we knew were going to happen three years from now or five years from now are happening today. We are now together with other people that you want to have in a boat navigating a new world. The way that we're going to create the new rules or seize new opportunities or navigate new challenges is to not sit there and say, how do we get back to the to the world we were in? It's to say, Let's start with first principles and let's start with people in this community that have a shared interest, but not just a shared interest, a shared interest and desire to invent what's coming. We have to define the world we want to go to because I think we're living in a moment where without a clear picture of where the world can be and where it should be, there's just a lot of finger pointing. You know, if we're not careful and we're not conscious it's just really easy to invest more and more of our time in addictive technologies that are meant to divide us. Going off of that, there are so many social media platforms out there that claim to do community and social media as a whole. So why Mighty Networks and what really is the innovation in the product or the business? Here's what I would argue. I would argue that social media is about capturing as many people's attention for as long as possible with the goal to make money. And and also we could say there's so many, but there really isn't. Oh, so Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Twitter, TikTok. That's it. And the reason that's it is because when you're trying to achieve the goal I articulated a moment ago, bringing as many people together to build the world's largest audience with as many things that are going to capture people's attention. When we thought that 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 model, you know, had any sort of redeeming value to it, it was in the spirit of like, we're going to connect the world. Well, guess what? If you connect the world without a purpose, you get what we have today, which is the, the vulnerability for this to be weaponized and to divide us. And right now, unfortunately, you know, no matter how decent and amazing people are, that is the culture of social media. This is where it's like, there's nothing about that that is what we're doing at Mighty Networks. So first and foremost, we exist for a world that it's about smaller communities that come together on their own. You know, there's no common user ID across Mighty Networks. Some people would like that. We are like, eh, maybe. But our whole point is that we want the creator, the brand, the purpose to be front and center. And we want to unlock the ways that those members can meet and build 
relationships with each other, which again, if you think about this whole notion of like your Instagram following being a community, it's not a community. A community actually would be when people who are in the comment section are actually building relationships with each other. And that's not happening. When you say community, you really mean audience when you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And by the way, there are a lot of benefits to having a big audience. So I'm not saying that, but just don't call it a community. A community is where fundamentally the value to every member goes up when a new person joins and contributes. That is my definition of community and how it is very different than social media. Now, there are attempts and, and, and aspects within social media where people are like, oh, here's a community, here's a Facebook group. Well, the challenge with that is that that group exists in service to that overall goal of capturing as much attention as long as possible with the desired effect to monetize that attention with ads. And so here's the thing about that is it, it means that your group experience or your community experience doesn't have the ability to become its own thing because you're coming in hot. You're experiencing your group in between all of the other things that are designed to maximize engagement, which really means maximize tribalism, maximize outrage, maximize uh, emotion. And I'll, I'll share one example of this because it's, it's super important, which is, uh, you know, there's a yoga community, um, is called find what feels good Kula. And they had 25,000 members in a Facebook group. And what they were finding was that as, as Sarah Bowman, who runs find what feels good Kula said, people were coming in hot because when you think about the newsfeed on, on Facebook, it's, you know, political outrage, friends being freaked out about said political outrage and then your yoga community. So what do you think happened in the interactions in this yoga group? I mean, they were definitely negative because of the negative context in which they were surrounded, right? Exactly. So they started a Mighty Network. And, and again, this is not like, I mean, we have some cool features and everything, but just like a fundamental difference is, is that it's away from social media. It allows you to build your own culture. It's, it's like walking into a yoga studio where you know that that's the culture uh, and it has a set of norms to it, where if everything you're doing is in the same feed, it's much more, it's much easier to weaponize. It's much easier to corrupt. And that's exactly what we've seen. So same questions in the Find What Feels Good community. They tested this out. They were like, okay, what if we want, we have the same question in our Mighty Network as we do in our Facebook group? Fundamentally different answers fundamentally different answers. When you think about the difference between a standalone community or destination community and all the reasons why it couldn't possibly work, I think Find What Feels Good Kula is a great example of when you can create a positive culture where people are mastering something interesting or important to them, they will join. And what they will find and then invite other people's to people to join them is that there's life after a highly emotional, highly, highly weaponized at this point, Facebook feed. And then when you continue to create Mighty Networks as its own, as you said, standalone uh, product and standalone community, what is your own innovation process for those features? How do you decide what's next? That's a great question. So it is, 
sometimes our host would, our host is what we call our, our customers would like it to be a democracy and it is not a democracy. Uh, and, and here's why there's the overall vision. There's our North star. There's the things that we know and, and, and believe passionately that would make our ultimate North star of vibrant communities that are for every conceivable interest and passion and goal and people mastering something interesting or important to them that you would actually need to put in place for that to be as easy as humanly possible. And so while there's a set of things that, and and we have our own mighty network called mighty host, where we run, you know, we run courses within mighty host. We have, you know, private groups for, you know, folks on our different plans, what that feedback from, from customers are, and we use our product every day as well. You put all of those things together to really have the, the, the overall point of view on where you want to go. You know, our, our job is to take a bunch of different inputs and put them together in a point of view that, that definitely has some things that are what our customers want. And they tell us, over and over and over again, what they would want. We know what that is. We have a list and we're just knocking out our ability to, to, to tackle it. So good news. The few things that were mentioned are all on our roadmap and we're going to be addressing them somewhere. Quickly. As far as your own career trajectory and involving um, in your career, what are some resources that you've turned to support? What are uh, mentors, advisors, or communities that you've created for yourself throughout your career to continue rising up? I have experimented with a lot of different um, ways and dynamics of of elevating not just myself, but like, how do we all rise together? I was an advisor to the Claiming Institute for Gender Research at Stanford. And one of the things that was really clear is the social science research around gender dynamics, especially around leadership and perception, um, is available today in a way that it wasn't super clear 20 years ago. Here's what I would say that is potentially controversial or, or provocative because I think that that makes the most interesting conversations. One is I think this notion that we're not putting more effort into sponsors and specifically who are people that are going to use their political capital to advocate for your career or opportunity to prove yourself is a missed opportunity. Mentorship has no political capital or advocacy associated with it. I think we assume it does, but it doesn't. Sponsorship is when somebody gives you that raise, gives you that additional responsibility, gives you and stands behind you as you are manifesting and taking on the things that ultimately allow you to move forward in your career. And mentorship is like somebody you can call on the phone for for perspective on that path. And so we've got all these resources around perspective on that path and not a lot of resources on who are your sponsors and how did you get them and what are you doing? Why do, what do you have to do to have more of them? I think, so I think that's a missed opportunity. And so how did you go about finding those sponsors for yourself? I lucked into it. I, it was like different opportunities where I was like, I said, yes, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to do this thing. Okay. Let me figure out how to do this thing. So 
I think that there's too much emphasis on membership, especially for women and, and high potential ambitious women and not enough on how are you building the sponsors that are going to give you the opportunities to move forward. Uh, the second thing is that I think that there's an overemphasis on empowering and giving women confidence. I don't think women need confidence. What we need is more opportunity and to be believed. And I think that's a different conversation. Like, I totally believe in myself. I, I also embrace and recognize and, and understand that the world that I live in today, there are going to be fewer people who are going to believe me than if I looked different or I had a different background or whatever. Life is not fair. The system is not fair. But the more that we think it's about our own imposter syndrome, which is a real thing, as opposed to the fact that it legit is that people are going to believe me less than a male peer of mine, it just, it's like, okay, well, I have to play the game differently if I want to win the game. So then the last thing, and this is, this is something that I think is, has been the most important thing in my, is, is feedback and the relationship that I have to feedback. Fast forward to the working world and where it's as much about power dynamics and who and how are you navigating a sponsorship environment. And especially for women, it's like, well, that's not fair. It's like, well, it doesn't matter that it's not fair. We're slowing everybody down when we think that the world is fair when it's not, or that, that if I don't get an A and somebody tells me how to do something better, that that's actually, that, that they are personally attacking me. My fear of feedback and the, f- the fear of feedback I see from many women or just this notion of like somebody giving you the gift of feedback, even if it's given to you in like a way that is not kind or accurate. If somebody says something to you, instead of being like, I can't believe they said that to me, figuring out what you're going to learn from it in a way that has as few emotions to it as possible. And again, I'm not great at this. It makes all the difference. Like you don't need a social science, you know, experiment or series of experiments to say that women in are are perceived in power are perceived differently than men are perceived in power. Like we all kind of knew that. What do we do about it? The only way through it is by experimentation with rapid feedback. And rapid feedback is, it's still the way the person feels or is perceived. And you understanding that gives you an angle, gives any of us an angle on how to win. It's one more data point in how to win that I wish that we would have more of these conversations around power, around feedback, and around sponsorship So you didn't ask me any of those questions. I totally want to just acknowledge that. But I took this opportunity to share things that I think are hopefully new ways of thinking about the things that ultimately allow us to gain power, to gain responsibility, and with power and responsibility to define a world that we want to live in that is more just, more equitable, that more people get the opportunity to realize their full potential and that there are more paths open to more people for the kind of life that they want to craft. These are the kinds of programming and workshops that we lead at Women in Innovation. So very exciting to see that. And thank you for sharing. Um, Before I do let you go, I did want to ask you an innovation question. Where do you see yourself and your industry 
in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? A month from now, I think we will be on the same exponential growth curve that we're on. And it's about kind of continuing to do what we're doing. I think a year from now, some of the things that we believe passionately will enable more creators to be successful, more members to realize their full potential, and to to really understand the power of bringing a community together, and specifically this kind of network effect community, where it gets more valuable to every member with each new person who joins and contributes, um, I think it will be much more fleshed out. And 10 years from now, I believe each and every one of us are going to be using whatever tools we can possibly use to navigate a climate and a world that is going to feel incredibly scary and outside of our control. I live in California. We just lived through a month of extreme weather. And it's hard to live through a month of extreme weather without recognizing that we are in fact in uncharted territory and that there's a whole new set of things, whether it's speed of building, whether it is, you know, firefighting technology. And I actually, I'm obsessed with the speed of rebuilding. Like I think, I think the next massive innovation is going to be, how do you, how do you rebuild towns in a month with sustainable fire retardant, um, materials and, and the whole supply chain, because I am not working on anything related to this, but I just think that this is super cool and like should be worked on. And so I think 10 years from now, it will be very difficult. And, and whether it's communities coming together, all of this has got to be in service to a unprecedented change in our environment. Not to end on a bummer note, but I think, you know, to me, that sort of keeps everything into perspective or in perspective, I should say. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today, Gina. It's been a real pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.